1 John chapter 2, verse, verses 15 through 17, and uh, we are going to have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that we have the opportunity to study your word once again. And as we look at this lesson this evening in discipleship, I'm thankful for those who have been involved uh, in teaching some of the lessons in the past, Brother Gabe and Brother uh, Sam, who did several of the lessons in the beginning. And and I know that when folks are, are missing from uh, the, the services here, especially when they have to work, that it can be disappointing. But I ask that you would give them strength to do their job to the best of their ability. And as we look at this lesson this evening, um, to be able to finish this series up and then go on to something else, that uh, your will would be done in each one of our lives. I am thankful for the service this morning and for everything that was said, the hymns that were sung, and for the words shared by Brother Diego especially, and, and then the message and the baptism of Brother Corey. And I pray that you would help us to encourage him as well in his walk. I am thankful for each person who has come, especially over the last several months, and, and the new folks who are coming and considering uh, being a part of the full fellowship here at Yellowstone. I pray that you would guide them in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began this lesson, and as we go through here, if you have any questions, we will try to address them. But the question was, as a Christian, how do we relate to the world? How do we relate mainly to a lost world? Because we know how we should do it with one another. We should do it with grace and love. Um, as uh, Sterling, would you mind checking and seeing? I think that thing may be emptied, and I know that back door is still open. We're going to have some cold air there. Oh, it was still running? Okay, okay, we're good then. Is it almost down to the bottom? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, it, takes, it takes about an hour to drain or so, so it's been draining for a while. Chapter 2. First John chapter 2. So we know and understand that we are going to expect opposition from the world. Now when I'm talking with somebody and I have the privilege of being able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them or point them in the direction of the Savior, I really don't, and you shouldn't really expect anything different from the world than what you would have given to somebody when you were in the world. When, when you and I did not know the Savior, if somebody would have just walked up to us and said, hey, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How would you have responded? Exactly. Who? Yeah. Or, oh, no, that's not for me. Or, you know, hey, I'm already a Christian. That's offensive to me. Or, hey, that's personal. Uh, that has nothing to do with you. Why would you ask me a question like that? And there are all kinds of questions that we're going to get, but sometimes the most painful questions and the most painful responses that we get from people can often be the ones who are closest to us. Relatives, colleagues, the people that we personally know. I mean, walk out of the clear blue over to your next door neighbor and say, hey, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go if you were to die? Yeah, they probably would. Uh, but, I mean, that's an important question. But there's tact and there's tact and there's a way that we should be able to do those things so that we can present what God expects from us and that is to be a witness unto all the world. I mean, after all, we have the Great Commission five times within the Scriptures in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20 or 21, and Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me. Where? Jerusalem? Judea? Samaria? On the most part of the world. But when it's a whole lot different when you are here, when we are here in America and we're going up and somebody just blows you off and we think that's, that, that's persecution somehow versus going to some Muslim country and go walk over next door to your, talk to your next door neighbor and say, hey, did you know that Allah is not real? 
You know, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Again, there's a way to be able to do this, but expect opposition. This exactly. I mean, there are many countries in which the law is that you cannot proselyte from one religion to another. Now, it normally is in favor of whatever the main religion of the country is, like Islam or Buddhism or like in Hindu uh, or in, in India, the, the Hindus have a, 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 a tight grip on the northern part of the country going up towards where like Nepal and Tibet, that area up there. And, and you, can't, you can't, in fact, if you look at Voice of the Martyrs, we get it all the time. And that magazine is, is very clear about what happens over there in India. I mean, they have no problems. They'll burn your house down. They'll burn, they'll burn the church down. Um, you know, the believers are, are dying over there regularly. So it's important that we do understand how do we relate. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Sorry, did you tell the story about the barber? Um... Oh, yes, yes. I had to think about that one for just a moment. I, I don't remember the end of it. Do you want to tell it? Well, there's a guy that's in the barber chair. In the barber, he's, you know, in the old days, they used to use the leather, the, the razor. So he's sharpening his blade, and while he's doing that, he says to the guy, if you died today, do you know where you would go? Exactly. <laughs> Verse 15. Hey, yeah. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here's some of the areas that the opposition is going to come from. Number one, those closest to you. Somebody look up for me, John chapter 1, verse 11. And who has that for us? Okay, John 1, 11. If you hold your finger there for just a moment. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. 10, 35 and 36. And then Galatians 4, 29. Uh, Sam, James four four. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter four verses three and four. Okay, so John one eleven. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. Uh, Corey? For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say? If you are not willing to give up father, mother, son, daughter, and love me more than these, you are not worthy to be my disciple. And so we understand that when the opposition comes, it's going to come from those who are close to you. We understand that if they hated the Savior, they're going to save you. You know, we, we can sit down. I, I, I could sit down with family members, even some of our, our immediate family members. We can sit down with them. We can talk about football. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about travel plans. We can talk about all kinds of things. But don't bring up religion. Religion and politics. Yeah. Yep. The opposition will also come from lost people in general. The two spiritual families, as he says in the material, they have never gotten along and they'll never get along. If, if you think that the lost and the saved have any common ground, then you don't understand the scriptures. Who has Galatians 4.29? Sam? But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it was now so also. Okay. I'm going to 
picture because I think I've got a different. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's speaking about those who are born of the flesh and those who are born of the spirit, and <clears throat> so we go then to the third one from society in general. Who has James four four? Um, who had James four four? Yeah. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Oh, that's pretty sharp, isn't it? I, I, I mean, we we. I mean, this this James fellow. I mean, who was he that? I mean, he'd use a term like that. I mean. You know, aren't we supposed to just love everybody and accept them the way they are and, you know, just all get along and sing Kumbaya together? I mean, isn't that what we're expected to do with the world? Well, if you go and look in the world, the problem is the world doesn't want you to just be willing to let them do whatever they want. The world not only wants you to let them do that, the world wants you to also accept and say that all the things that they are doing are acceptable. That's the real issue that is at stake in the world. Because you can have all the, all the vulgarity, all the stuff that is going on in the world. I can remember a time when you would go to work and if people said a bad word, they'd go, oops, pardon my French. Not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, go and you've got you've got kids who are three and four years old dropping f bombs on their own parents. Yeah. I mean, there's no respect anymore, and the sad thing is that this is being shown in the media and in the education system and in the movies. And you know, there was a time, and I have used this as an illustration before, where we have watched movies and. And I can remember my mom and dad doing this. And we didn't even have a TV, I don't think, until I was like 14 years old, something like that. And it was, a, I mean, it was one of those massive, uh, massive 13-inch black and white TVs. Um, you know, it had a, had a channel changer. Mark, get up and go change the channel. Um, and, and so we watched these movies. And, and the, the standard was in our home, if there was word... We get up and we turn it off. Didn't matter what the rest of it was. Didn't matter what the what the plot was or anything like that. Now you can't, and, and sad to say, but you go and some of the movies that we thought were really, uh, we were talking about this at one of the tables downstairs, but some of the movies that we thought were just innocent, you know, they're geared for kids, they're funny, it's comedy, it's whatever. Now go back as an adult and watch those before you put them in front of the eyes of your kids and you will be shocked. I mean, we we mentioned we were mentioning this downstairs. Take Bugs Bunny. I mean, who doesn't love Bugs Bunny? I love Bugs Bunny. I love Bugs Bunny. But do, do you know that Bugs Bunny actually multiple times actually was a cross-dressing transvestite rabbit that was being portrayed on the screen by Disney? Yeah, yeah. Back in the back in the thirties, forties, and fifties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what they were doing? They were making it acceptable. Don't, don't, don't let the parents, I mean, as long as the parents don't see it, hey, we'll babysit the kids, turn on the TV, and whatever flow through, and now we're growing up and we're seeing the results of all that kind of stuff. Well, there, there was a trust factor kind of back in those days, I mean, where, like you just said, yeah, I mean, after all, it's Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're not gonna get, they're not gonna put anything in front of our kids that are dangerous. And now, and now look at, I mean, they're flat out just saying it now instead of little Yeah. And and I don't I don't want to imply here. I don't want to imply that just because somebody is involved or a company is involved with something, that that automatically makes everything bad. Okay, we have to be careful. I can remember years ago. I think when Violet and I were were first married, we'd been married a few years, and the church that we were in at the time got on this kick where every single thing that came out you had to boycott the company. Well, 
the problem is boycotting the comp, comp, all of these companies is not always the answer, especially when you're talking about Kellogg's Corn Flakes or whatever it may be that you got. You can't do those things. And even now, or now though, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Did anybody see the news about Hershey's Canada? Okay, so Hershey's Canada, I think it was just yesterday or Friday, actually put out a note where they are openly going to support as a company and pay for uh, those who are in the LGBTQ uh, 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 communities to go to uh, book readings that pastors are doing across North America where instead of having a drag show because there are several pastors who have actually sought to sue the libraries because the, the libraries will have drag shows um, or drag queens coming and reading to the kids um, perverted books and so pastors applied and sued uh, to be able to do this and so now they have opened it up and libraries are afraid that they're going to get sued by more pastors so they're saying okay well you can come as well well Hershey's Canada has decided that they're actually going to pay these activists to be able to go and show up anytime there's a pastor they know of a pastor who's going to read with their signs and their their vulgar pictures to be able to get the kids on board with them again it, it, it's just flaunting it it is in your face constantly Corey? yes yep it's it's probably gonna end up in the supreme court though i mean there are others i mean he, he, it's, it's pretty much speech, yeah yeah but when it comes to a christian going in now it becomes separation of church and state you see, we can't, we can't win according to the world standard. And finally, the opposition, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. You have that, Brother um, Logan? I have another one. That's your main opposition. That is the enemy, Satan. These other people, they've been duped into believing, did God really say that? I mean, that's ultimately what the question is that it's at stake here. Adam and Eve, same thing. I mean, if, you, if, we, had met Adam, if we could meet Adam and Eve on the street, I'm sure they'd be a nice couple. But the problem is where their heart is before God. And they chose to rebel. And that's where every one of our hearts are. They rebel before God. We, in our natural state, hate God. We hate his word. We hate his people. We hate his church. And this is why, this is why to me, you can fill a stadium with people, but you can't fill a true Bible-believing preaching church. Easy to do. Opposition comes from Satan. So how do we overcome this opposition? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Can you get that one, please? Proverbs 15, verse 1. And somebody else have Romans chapter 12? I'd like to read for us. Do you like to read, Bill? Do you mind? Romans 12, 18. Somebody else like to read Proverbs 16, verse 7. Mom? And Violet, 1 John chapter 5. Let me give you an example of a harsh word. Westboro Baptist Church. Anybody not familiar with Westboro Baptist Church? Okay, the young people, it's a good thing. A couple of you. Westboro Baptist Church is a church that has signs they go around and pick it every time for example a serviceman dies in in combat they'll actually show up with their signs and say the serviceman's going to hell because the US government supports homosexuals and they're very it's very vitriolic it's very hateful speech um, but again freedom of speech allows them to do and say whatever it is that they want to say well Sadly, the family can't even get along with each other. It's mostly an ingrown church. Um, and the problem with Westboro is you're never going to you're never going to get 
people to understand the love of the Lord Jesus Christ without also sharing with them the wrath of God. But if God loved you and was gracious to you in bringing you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, does it not behoove us to also be gracious to those who are lost? I mean, that's, that's, it's hard to do sometimes. I mean, we want to rail on somebody that comes in, and, and I remember, and we heard the illustration several times, but I, I appreciate the illustration um, that was given um, here several times. And, and, and the gentleman came in, and he doesn't want to get the chairs dirty, and this wasn't here that this happened. Mickey actually shared this. And, and he came in, and he sat down on the floor because he didn't want to get the chairs, chairs filthy. He just looked like a homeless guy. And so one of the most stately gentlemen in the church, dressed in a nice three-piece suit like Brother Diego was this morning, actually walked up and they thought he was, the people of the, in the auditorium thought you know they were going to throw the guy out or whatever. And this man in a three-piece suit actually walked up to the front of the church and sat down beside the man and welcomed him. You know, there are times we need to be willing to do things like that. And we've talked about this before. If, if we had two people and, and, and two men and they came in and they were holding hands or two women coming in, they're probably not going to last through the whole service. But what we should be remembering is that, but for the grace of God, it could be us that are there. And because of the grace of God, we know that we have the message of salvation. We have the truth to be able to proclaim to them. And I'm certainly not going to pull any punches by telling them that they're okay living in their sin. I'm going to tell them the truth. I don't care whether they get upset or not. But I don't have to rail on them and call them nasty, hateful, derogatory terms that the Bible doesn't even use to describe them. How does the Bible describe you? Before we got saved. Sinners. A wretch. How does it describe us now? Beloved. In Christ, saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we get from one, though, to the other? Only through Jesus Christ. And it's not because we can manage to persuade them. If you take somebody from that community and you manage to be a smooth talker and you can talk them out of whatever lifestyle they're in, before long, somebody who's a better talker than you is going to talk them into something different and even worse. Do you remember the account the Lord Jesus Christ says that there was a man who had a demon cast out? And what happened? There was nothing to fill it. Before long, he comes and he finds six other demons that come with him and find that house clean and swept and they inhabit that man. That's exactly what we're talking about. These things that are transpiring, the hatred that you find, the stuff that's going on in Portland and Seattle and all of that stuff, that's not political at its very base. If you take away and knock away all the props, knock away all the media, all of the hatred, all of the wickedness that has taken place in the world has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the depravity of the heart. That's it. So give a soft answer. Remember where you came from. Who has Proverbs twelve eighteen? Yep. Or sorry, Romans twelve eighteen. You you're at the right place. Live peaceably with all men. I mean, after all, what are the two greatest commandments that sometimes we forget? Number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And what is the second? Love your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes my neighbor is my enemy. If, if, if my neighbor... Not these two, okay? I'm going to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> yeah. So, some, some, sometimes your next, your next, next, next neighbor is your enemy. Yeah, he's over here making notes. <laughs> You're in such big trouble. I know. But he, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. If, you're, if you think that your neighbor is your enemy or your colleague or your relative, you don't understand the depravity of the human heart because they are not your enemies. You know, there was a time when somebody may have considered you their enemy if they were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and came and was willing to knock on your door. Say, hey, can I share some good news with you? 
I shared this account with somebody this morning. I think we were talking downstairs. I don't even remember who it was. Sunday mornings, by the way, are just a blur for me. Okay, we 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 prepare. We have the order service. We have all of this stuff, and then it's just like take a deep breath, go for it, and next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So whoever it was, if you were, if it was you this morning, then that's fine. But I was talking with somebody, and I was telling them about serving as a funeral director, and I served in, as a funeral director in this one uh, large, um, uh, one large location, and uh, this particular service we had probably, I don't know, three, four hundred people. It was massive, and. Uh, the two daughters came in and throughout the entire process they wouldn't talk to each other the one daughter and they were they were only like a year and a half apart they hadn't gotten along for 12 years according to their own uh, their own recollection and the one daughter sat here the other daughter sat right here and this one would say as we're writing notes and making plans for what we we're going to do for the funeral uh, this one said if you'll tell that woman over there this is what i want and then this one said, well, if you'll tell that woman over there, sisters, they're the only two siblings. So we finally got through all of that. It took us about four or five days to actually put all the plans together. And they asked me if I would serve as the chaplain for the funeral. Well, it was kind of a funny situation because this guy was probably about 450 pounds. We had a 4XL casket. It had to be special ordered in. He was massive. And uh, so we finally got him in, and he was wall-to-wall -wall in this casket and rolled it in, and there's this great big casket laying up here at the front of the funeral home. And we only had one step up to the platform. And so I'm sitting on the platform, and I hadn't been informed that both of the daughters had finally, for the first time in 12 years, come to an agreement on one thing. They wanted an open casket at the funeral. So I'm sitting there waiting for service to start, and I stand up and I indicate to the funeral director and the funeral director comes up and he lifts this lid and it covers Mark. <laughs> it was so big and I was so short. And you hear the tittering and then it just exploded into laughter across the whole congregation. Even the two daughters were laughing on the front. And so we, we, I said, excuse me just a minute. I held my finger up like this. Hold on just a minute. And way over here on the far side, there was a little rostrum, kind of like that one there, the metal one. And I pulled it and I brought it over here and I set it right beside. So I'm standing here at the edge of the casket with this guy's head right beside me. <laughs> and that's where I preached from. And I didn't pull any punches with him. And I preached from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And I said, Jesus Christ is the only way. Well, out of this entire congregation there were there were not any tears the kids didn't care they're the two girls they didn't care but there was a couple that was sitting about where you're at brother Corey they were about that far from me and they just sat there and they started weeping and they just wept and wept and wept we finished with the service and we went to the mausoleum I'm still surprised we had a mausoleum big enough for this guy to go into and it was an indoor mausoleum very expensive um, they spent a ton of money between the two of them. And this was probably late 90s. It was over $20,000 that they spent just to bury this guy. So we finished with the service and man, everybody scattered except for this one couple. And I'm in the mausoleum and we're standing by the crypt where this guy was going in. And the, and the, the, uh, the guys who were there with the lift and everything, they were getting ready to put him in, and we always waited until the family left. And this family was standing about, they had moved over, and they were standing over beside one of the crypt about where you are, Brother Tim. And they were just still bawling. And I thought, man, they must have really loved this guy. But I didn't know who they were. We had never seen them before. And so he came up to me, and he said, uh, Pastor, can we talk with you? And I said, sure. And he said, uh, he said, I don't know how to say this. He said, but we know pretty much everybody that came to the funeral today. He said, we're a very social family. We're an extended family. He said, the man that you're getting ready to put in the tomb is actually my, my uncle. And I said, okay. I said, you guys were obviously close. He said, oh, no. He said, he said that man was a depraved man. And he said, no. He says, most people didn't even like him. Even his own daughters didn't like him. And I said, well, I'm a little surprised then that I see that both of you are in tears. And he said, well, 
He said, we've got a story to tell you if you've got a few more minutes. And I, should, I said, sure. He said, about six weeks ago, he said, somebody came up and knocked on our door. He said, I don't want to take just a minute of your time, but I'd like to leave you something if you wouldn't mind reading it. And they said, okay. He left his number. They called him up a week later, came back to their home. And he said, we had never, ever even heard apart from a swear word. We never even knew who Jesus Christ was. And he said that man was from a local Baptist church. It was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was from a local Baptist church. We invited him into our home. And we placed our faith in the Lord. He said, we know all these people. He said, and there could not have been a better way to be able to end this man's life. We know he's in hell. He hated God with a passion. He said, but six weeks ago, we would have been in that same crowd but somebody cared enough to knock on our door. I thought it was pretty special. Well, I think that's why it is important to give a soft answer. Love people. Love them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has Proverbs 16, 7? Okay. When, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Uh, I can remember my dad telling me down through the years, he says, your, your position could be right, but if your disposition is wrong, you're wrong. And, and, and I think that when we are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and we are talking about the words of eternal life, unless the Holy Spirit draw a man unto himself, you're never going to understand the scriptures. So don't make them your enemy. Don't go after them. Don't be antagonistic. For instance, people have come up to me who are not believers and they want to argue about creation. I want to know, first and foremost, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not, we're not talking about creation. Because that's not what is most important. We can argue all day long until somebody with a PhD comes along and they're able to re-argue you back to the point of evolution. Why do you even care whether evolution or creation is valid or not? Who do you say Christ is? That's the truth. I shared the, the, on, on the screen this morning these three different cults. And if these people are coming and they're coming to your door or they're talking to you, what is it that we're telling them? What are we asking them? Who is Jesus Christ? Don't be afraid to ask the two young, nice young men that show up at your door and ask them, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Is he really brother to Lucifer? Well, that's not what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Who had that one? Uh, Violet? When it comes our time to go, and whether it's persecution or trials like our brothers and sisters all around the world have to suffer, God will give us the grace to get through that day, whatever it is. Uh, if you've never read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I would recommend reading that book. It's not an easy book to get through, but right from the very beginning in the first chapter when it talks about Stephen in the early church and how he was the first martyr and he lifts up his eyes and he sees Jesus I think that would be a wonderful testimony. And there are many down through the ages who have been put into the Colosseum or they have been, the lions have bounded out and, and these people are just singing praises until the lions devour them one by one. But they do it with grace because God gives them dying grace at that minute to be able to endure whatever it is. And I've shared this before, but, but if you're struggling in your life and you're afraid of dying or you're afraid of whatever, uh, the question is, are you dying? Well, ultimately, yes, we're all dying. We're, we're born the moment we are born, we're dying. Our cells are dying in our body. Why be afraid of cancer? Why be afraid of being in a nursing home? Why be afraid of whatever it may be if we're not there? That day may come, but if it does, then God will give us the grace to be able to endure it. I can remember my mom coming over and visiting in 2006 in England where I was pastoring. Went to the nursing home, 
my grandmother was living just about two and a half, three miles from where we were in a little village. And she was in a facility there because we couldn't take care, help take care of her anymore. She couldn't be in her own apartment. She had fallen and she could no longer walk. And she had gotten to the point, we had watched her Alzheimer's progress to the point where I went from being her grandson to her son to her brother. And eventually I walked in one day and she didn't know who I was. And that's hard to be able to watch that. When my mom came over, my mom or my grandmother didn't recognize her own daughter. But you know what we could do? We could go and the girls, or uh, Violet and, and the boys used to go regularly and, and they would go and they would play their instruments and they would sing or we would go and read the Psalms. And my grandmother could still sing. She couldn't carry on a conversation, but she could sing. If you read a passage of scripture, you could hear her mouthing the words. Psalm 23, <coughs> Psalm 100. Love your enemies and help them. Christ loved his enemies enough to die for them. The reality is that when Christ died for us, we were all his enemies. But he still loved us. Set his eternal love upon us. Pray for your enemies. Keep good company. Immerse yourself in the word of God so that you know what to say. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How should the world, lost world see you as a Christian? They should know, first of all, that you love God. Not just by your mouth, but by your life. Is there something in your life that doesn't reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there are times, because we are living in a fallen world, there are times sometimes that I am glad that we don't have a lot of neighbors, including our enemy neighbors. (laughs) We don't have a lot of neighbors. But there are times when we may get up, and I'm sure you have been there as well, where you get up on a Sunday morning and all you want to do is throttle your kids. <gasps> there are times you may get up on a Sunday morning and you don't want to go to church. Maybe there's something you're struggling with. Reminds me of the story of the young man who gets up In the morning, he goes into the kitchen, has a cup of coffee, pours himself a cup of coffee, and he says, I don't want to go to church. You can't make me. And she said, well, how about I give you two reasons why you should go to church? And he says, okay. He said, what are the two reasons? She said, well, number one, she said, it's the right thing to do because we love the Lord. And she said, number two, because you're the pastor. There are times when we know what's going on in the world, and to be honest, it's depressing. The news is depressing. We get bad news from one another. And it's hard to keep a smile sometimes on our face when it seems like your world is falling apart. You know, I mean, even like like this last week when you, when you came and you shared, hey, praise the Lord, we've been praying for a long time for Brother Tim to get a job. And then he says, but I got to work on Sunday. And it's like, oh, I felt like the balloon just got popped. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord will give Brother Tim grace. Yep. And it may be that God has created this job for him at such a time as this so that he can reach other people. We don't know. They should see your lifestyle as separate from the world and your behavior a testimony to others. Again, this is not about perfection. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be times, Brother Corey, that, you're, that you slip. You're driving down the road and somebody comes in front of you and does a nice brake check. You know, I, I don't think the first thing on most people's mind are going to be to roll down the window. For you young people, that's the way they used to do it. And roll down the window and say, Hey, praise the Lord, you depraved sinner. <laughs> I don't think you do that anyway, do you? Not quite. Not quite, not, yeah, not quite like that. 
But they should see our lifestyle. And here's the thing. Now that he knows the Lord, now that you know the Lord, do you respond to people the same way that you did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Or do you change? Have you changed? If you and I know the Lord Jesus Christ, our lifestyle should be changing. It should be more a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They should view us as moderate in all things. Somebody look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. I, I, want, I want to be careful how, how I say this, or I don't want you to misunderstand. There was a time in the Middle Ages where members of the Catholic Church would dress a certain way, or you know, normally the monks or the, or the nuns, and they would dress a certain way, act a certain way, they would act very pious and, and holy, and yet they were, they were just as depraved as everybody else was. The problem was that they thought that by their outward appearance, by their dressing in something that made them to be different from everybody else, all of a sudden that that was what was going to be a reflection of Christ. There are groups, for example, the uh, fundamental, excuse me, the fundamental Latter-day Saints. Anybody familiar with them? Okay. They are a very small offshoot. They're about 100,000 people or so. Uh, and they are the ones who are open polygamists down in the southern part of Utah uh, and uh, Colorado, parts of Colorado. And, of course, the women all wear tennis shoes. They wear long dresses. They all have pastel-colored dresses. Uh, you can't mistake them when you go in, and there are even some here, like, like even like the Amish or Mennonites, sometimes they wear, you'll see them in a place like Walmart or whatever. And you know, one of the sad things that I find, I, I, don't, I don't question their piety or their, their desire to try to please God, but go up and actually talk with some of these people that you see and ask them, what does this mean? Most of them will shun you or they will ignore you. They have no testimony apart from their outward dress. Who has 1 Corinthians 9.22? Anybody? Um, yep, Corey, sorry. I just saw your hand over in the corner before, just before Sam. <laughs> to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means we are not we we live in a world that is dying and we can't i mean look look around look at the outfits that we wear i mean we this is what we wear every day i mean this is our normal dress but we're not walking around with a great big cone on our heads with a c on there and people say well what does that mean well that shows you i'm a christian no we should be living our lives in such a way that people don't have to see a letter on our heads or on our, on, our, on our shirt. They should be able to see it in our lives. But at the same time, they ask you, hey, what's going on? What, why are you so different? Why do you respond? I would never have responded that way. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked me, Debbie, because there was a time I would have responded just like you did. But Jesus is the one that's made all the difference. Be open and honest in all matters. Let others see a living testimony of the grace of God in your life. And let people see you as having a good report. This is how we interact with the lost world. We shared this with you last week. Our, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're strangers and pilgrims. But that doesn't mean that we have to be so odd that people look at us like we're quacks. They should look at us and say, you know, I don't know how you can believe what you believe. Well, I'll tell you how I can believe that. Because when it comes time for you to die, when it comes time for you to be in the hospital, when your life is falling apart, I want you to remember that there is an answer. The Bible has an answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. 
Because those people who are high and mighty right now, those people who think that the whole world is their oyster, when they get the bad news and the C word enters their home and they've got cancer, now you've got people who are scared. Now you've got people who don't know because their money can't buy them anything. The healthcare system can't change anything for them. Their colleagues can't change anything for them. So what do you do now? I remember your friend from that worked down with you in Fort Collins, Josh. Joshua. I can remember the conversations that Sam said that he had with him, with him on a regular basis, and he just didn't get it, and his whole life was falling apart until the day that the Lord Jesus Christ came and arrested him and brought him under conviction and he became a believer. You know, that's the way it is. We talked about that, Corey. We've talked about that with several of you. That's what God does. He changes our heart. He changes our life. So are you prepared to live with whatever God places in your path? What if, what if you get some really bad news this week? Are you prepared to handle it? If so, how will you handle it? If you're not prepared to handle it, you're still going to have to handle it. When we get the bad news and we have to end up going to a funeral home or we have to go to the hospital or whatever, either God is still the answer or he's not. Because if you don't believe that he's the answer, you're just here wasting your time tonight. I'm wasting my time on a Sunday morning if there's no hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Corey? Yep. Sure. You, you, and we can't help but change. I mean, it's it's like it's like the the babies. I was looking at Jasper this morning, and and the two twins, Claire and um, huh, what? Emily. 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 And James. Yeah, James. James. Yeah, and and it's like it's like, man, I can remember just a few minutes, just 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 three months ago with the twins. They were born. I mean, and they were just tiny. I mean, and you see them this morning. I mean, it's like, man, what are they feeding them? Lasagna? Yeah, I mean, they're growing fast. Steak? And you know what's interesting? They were saying that even in their attitudes and the things that that one looks more like mom, one more looks more like dad because they're not identical twins, you know, and in three months they're already developing their own personality. Yet you and I as believers, from the moment we become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to reflect Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's the joy of biblical Christianity. And if your Christianity isn't changing you, it's not biblical. So look to Jesus and point the world to Jesus Christ. Let him be the one who is responsible because you can't save anybody. You can't save your family. You can't save your ex. You can't save whoever it may be. But the Holy Spirit sure can. Amen? Amen. You know, one of the things that I appreciated this morning, just some of the people that I didn't know about, that you shared the testimony of this morning. Those are wonderful testimonies. You know, and even to be remembered three, four, ten years later, whatever it may be, that's how much of a difference that one person who knows the Lord can be. Any questions or comments? They're discussing the <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> 
their discussion of my punishment, he said. Yeah. When we were in England, we... Uh, you were... told that story. Uh, when, we were, when we were in England, we had a young couple, a uh, Hispanic couple that was saved, Tony and Alice Castro. It's a blessing that, uh, as far as the testimony is concerned, every year for the last 39 years, he has called me on his spiritual birthday, which was February the 28th. February the 28th. Every year since he was saved, we have the joy of leading him to the Lord. He has called me to just to thank me personally for being there. The Lord allowed us to be in England yeah. and share the gospel with him. And not give up on him. And we didn't give up on him. There were times when we went to visit him and him and his wife were hiding behind a curtain and they wouldn't answer the door. <laughs> but they finally, finally did. Yeah. And, uh, and you know where it started? They had an old, it was, it was an old Ford blue Cortina. It was about like the blue of your jacket. And uh, that was probably a re-re-re-re-paint job uh, to even get to that. But this car was just not in best shape like a lot of GIs drove. And they were both underneath the hood of that car when Dad stopped over there to see them. Just yeah. head underneath the hood and said, can I help you? He looked at me like I was a crazy fool. <laughs> You never know. You never know. You never know. Anybody else? Well, thank you for coming tonight. You're welcome to stay for a time of fellowship. Um, we'll go down to finish off whatever food is left if you're staying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we are called to be separate from the world. and. A true believer is not going to be arrogant or proud about it, but we are going to be humbled that you would even choose us from among the children of men. But help us to remember that in the end, it's not our responsibility to see who gets saved or who doesn't. It's simply our responsibility to tell them the truth, to love them, to point them to Jesus Christ. And your Holy Spirit does the work. So we have a time of fellowship now. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.